Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth, and I'm joined by Steve Poftak, the general manager of the MBTA. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I wanted to try and get a better understanding of your thinking on a handful of issues. And if we could, let's start with this recent brouhaha. I don't, it sort of blew up into a big thing, but I'm still trying to understand a little bit with the congressional delegation, their insistence that the return, the T return to full service as soon as possible. It seemed like you were initially resistant uh, to that idea but then you agreed to do basically what they asked. Um, can you summarize what changed for you? Sure. You know, I think, you know, we had started a process in the fall um, of adjusting service levels and, um, you know, we had not yet gotten or didn't have the certainty of the second, third waves of stimulus funding. Um, so when we put that in motion, I think we did it with the best of intentions to try to uh, put the T on a sustainable path. You know, as, as the second and the third wave of stimulus funding came in, the third wave in particular was, uh, was the largest of the three, uh, which I think came as a surprise to us. And, you know, the congressional delegation, um, you know, signaled or told us directly, you know, pretty clearly that they, the intent of this money was to uh, support as much service as possible, as opposed to taking the money and parsing it out in an attempt to make it last as long as possible. So, you know, after I think some productive discussions, not only with the delegation, but obviously with the board, uh, you know, we've reoriented our efforts to try to bring back service as fast as possible on the bus and subway. We already had plans in flight to increase service on commuter rail. Um, which we did on April 5th. One thing we will be bringing back is weekend service on the commuter rail. We're still working out the details of that. So I think we really or reoriented ourselves from trying to, trying to husband that stimulus money for as long as possible to bringing service back uh, as soon as we can. So, you know, we are, we are full speed ahead right now. We've got, uh, you know, we've got open advertisements out there for bus operators, for rail operators, for bus instructors. So we are very much, uh, you know, we are very much in, in a restoration of service on the bus and subway mode right now. So, and that makes perfect sense to me, except I, I think it was uh, Governor Baker who famously said at one point, I don't see the point of running empty trains. Um, and so I know there's a, I think what people often have a hard time understanding is the T can't just sort of say, oh, we're going to add a lot more service tomorrow. It, it takes months to sort of plan with the, the workforce and build up. And you've had attrition, as you were saying, you were trying to hire people back. But I guess I, I still want to just understand a little bit better the, the ridership is still at a relatively low level if you if you look at the T broadly. And if you bring back service, if you bring back all your service, you're providing more service than you probably need. So I'm just trying to understand there, there's a there's a difference between husbanding resources for the future, but also not wasting resources right now when you maybe don't need as much service. That's what I was trying to, there's a, it seems to be a, you're, you're juggling that all the time. I'm just trying to understand that a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a balance there. I mean, I think, 
I think there's a sort of the answer to your question is somewhat embedded in, in, in the way you preface the question. The T isn't in a, we're not in a position where I can linearly, you know, tomorrow say we're going to give 10% more service on bus and then the day after give another 10%, right? If the T has long planning cycles, we've got, you know, 2000 people with contractual rights and, um, you know, and just the process of scheduling. We do have to be in a position where we, you know, we are changing service almost in advance of what we think ridership will be. You know, we have seen significant increases um, in ridership last week. Last week was the highest ridership week since the pandemic started. Uh, so we, you know, we are seeing increases in ridership. You know, I think it's all relatively, it's all incremental. You know, it's not as if you wake up one day and there's 10% more riders. But you know we are seeing people come back slowly but surely, and we you know we've we have the resources in place where we can provide additional service, and uh, and, and and that's what we're doing right now. So, but you still don't know when. I guess last week you're saying it's up, but it, on a broad basis, it's still what percent of pre-pandemic levels, like. 40%, 30%? Varies by, you know, varies by mode. It's probably something along the lines of 30%. Um, on bus, it's more like 45%. Uh, last Friday was, uh, was actually, uh, you know, quite close to 50%. Um, probably closer to 25% on the subway uh, with the notable outlier there being the blue line, which is at about 43%. So the struggle is always... Are you providing, you know, you're, you're rushing to get the service back now because you have the money, but is that a waste of money because you're, you're, you don't need all that service? Well, I mean, the other thing I'd note is, I mean, the cross-cutting issue here is, um, is the issue of social distancing, right? The, you know, the old, in the old days, a 40-foot bus with 58 people on it was our definition of crowded. Um, now, uh, our, you know, our new definition based on the World Health Organization three-foot perimeter guidance is, um, I should say, three feet between individuals guidance um, puts that crowding threshold down to 20. So we have to run, you know, we are, we, we have bus routes where uh, many of the buses fit that definition of crowded, even though we're carrying fewer passengers. And I think it's a, you know, it is currently the expectation of our passengers um, that they will be able to socially distance while they're on the T. Um, you know, and we, we're, trying to, we're trying to distribute the service so that we can do that. We can't always do that given the number of, uh, of people and just a, a, finite number, a finite number of resources, finite number of buses. Um, but I think there is, even with a lower ridership level you know, I think there. I, I think it does make sense for us to support higher levels of service to allow people to distance. Okay, so but that would sort of indicate that there'll be this convergence at some point where the emergency is still in place, but more and more riders are coming back. Your existing full service might not even be able to accommodate unless unless the emergency goes away, right? I mean, I guess I'm trying to read out what what happens four months, five months down the road. I mean, at some point, the irresistible force meets the immovable object. We've got 1,055 buses. We have 
roughly, you know, 1900 people in bus operations um, to, to maintain and operate those buses. Um, that, that's the, that's the limit. Uh, and as, as more, you know, at some point we will hit a, a, a tipping point um, where, you know, these, as more people come back, that finite asset becomes, uh, does, does become more crowded. Okay. Let's move on to another one. Um, I thought I was at the recent uh, fiscal and management control board meeting, and um, it was an interesting discussion about means-tested fares. And for our listeners, means-tested fares are fares that are based on the income level of the rider. Um, and as you're aware, a lot of our listeners are aware, there's been a lot of debate about offering free service, no fares. Um, in fact, the Senate chair of the Transportation Committee has filed legislation to offer free bus service. Uh, and it's, got, it's gotten some currency of late. But Crystal Cornegay, a member of the control board, sort of raised the issue that means-tested fares might make a lot more sense because, as she said, I can afford to ride the T and I should pay to ride the T and others can't. And, and so it might make sense to adjust fares for them. Is that something that the, first off, I just wanted to get your sense. You sound like you're, you're pushing ahead with this and, and trying to come up with a way to measure and, and handle means-tested fares if that's where the control board wants to go. Are you in support of that? Just tell me how you feel about it. You know, the, the um, you know, means-tested fares is something that we've examined um, a number of times at the direction of the board. Um, you know, one of my concerns is that it comes with a durable, um, you know, a durable revenue stream and also that we uh, determine a way, which I don't think we've, I don't think we've locked down, but determine a way to handle income verification that doesn't involve the T building that capacity. So, you know, I do think there is, uh, you know, there's additional work that needs to be done. We are, um, you know, the, the, mayor, the mayor of Boston has expressed her interest in some sort of pilot um, related to free bus. And that is, something, uh, that is something we are actively discussing with them, kind of what the parameters would be and, and how that potentially would be run. Um, I, you know, I think internally at the T, the preference, um, you know, bearing in mind the preconditions that I mentioned, uh, the preference was always to explore, uh, the preference has always been for people-based fare, um, types of fare mitigation as opposed to place-based um, because of some of the issues that Director Cornegay raised. Um, and also I think some of just the difficulties of implementing, if you make, a, you know, if you make a portion of the bus system free, if those people are getting on the subway, they're paying, the transfer is free, but they're paying for the subway. So they're effectively, they're, they're not really receiving a benefit. So there are some, um, you know, I think they're, given the work we've done internally, there's a bias to place, uh, excuse me, person-based um, types of fare mitigation versus place-based. Yeah, the way she phrased it, uh, Crystal Cornegay, it sort of sounded like in a political sense too, that makes a lot more, sense from the T standpoint than just free fares because it's you, you're you're not just giving it away to everybody but you're giving it away to those people 
giving it away, giving a service away to people that actually need maybe some help in paying for it. Um, so with those caveats, the revenue and what have you, the legislatures talked about providing you some revenue um, for that. Um, they, none, of, none of their measures passed, the governor vetoed them primarily, but I'm curious, um, they, they were talking about, I think, um, fees on um, rideshare companies and, and rideshare. Is that something that would be acceptable to you as a, as a revenue source? I think, um, I confess I, I did not, um, I, 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 I understand at a very surface level, um, not only what the legislature um, provided in terms of um, fees, but also what the governor himself had filed. Uh, he had filed a different variant of that idea. I think one that was, I think at a little bit of a higher level, whereas the one that was filed by the legislature, I think had some very precise targeted pieces to it. Um, I don't frankly know whether that is enough. Uh, whether, you know, I, I don't know enough about the revenue source to know the amount of revenue or whether it would be durable um, or particularly kind of in a, in a COVID world with lower levels of ridership, what would that mean in a post COVID world? So um, I guess I'm, I'm hesitant to endorse, um, endorse that as a, as a revenue source, just not knowing enough about it. And do you have a sense of, I mean, your research on this at the T has, has it turfed up how much revenue it would cost? That seems like a big variable that's maybe hanging out there. It's a big variable because it all depends. Uh, it all depends how you frame eligibility. Have you guys done that at all? Um, I know there was some work done about a year, year and a half ago. Off the top of my head, I don't know. I, I, I don't have a specific, I think you're asking me, you know, what is, you know, how much, what is, give me the X. What is, what is the cost of a, of a program with, and with the structure around it? I don't, I don't know that. And just, you mentioned that you were talking with the, uh, the acting mayor of Boston about offering some sort of free bus service. I know she was handing out passes or, or tea cards to people and stuff, but you're actually exploring a route or something specific at this point. It would be some form of uh, it would be some form of pilot. Um, really, she has expressed interest in that, and we are we're trying to sort of flesh out the details of uh, of, of what that would look like. It's still at a it's still at an early uh, I would say at an early stage, but uh, you know the request has been made, and we are working on it. Okay. Um, and then there was a recent announcement by the T that um, uh, the fines for uh, fare evasion were being reduced uh, pretty dramatically from what they had been. Uh, and this is all sort of leading up to the whole turnover to a new uh, fare collection system, a cashless fare collection system that I think a lot of people are excited to see when it finally arrives and what it's going to look like. I wanted to ask you, so just so people understand what we're talking about, it, it, with this new system, you would get on the green line at any, or any bus, you get on at any door, which would speed up getting on board and you just tap your card getting on and, and then sit down or go wherever you're gonna go. Um, and the T has sort of said, we're gonna have fair, I, I don't know what they're called, fair inspectors or fair checkers who would go around and just, I guess, check whether people have paid their fare, but they can look at the card or do something electronically and figure that out. Yep. 
How big of a team are you sort of envisioning for this fair inspection group? We are envisioning, um, you know, a team that would probably be somewhere on the order of, um, I'm going to give you a broad range just to, uh, so I'm not wrong, but something on the order of say 80 to 120 people who would be um, checking primarily, uh, primarily in places where we don't have, you know, the fair gates serve as the fair verification mechanism on much of the subway system, except for surface green line stops and obviously the bus system. Um, so that that's where their work would be. Um, that's wh where their work would be concentrated. And so would these people be dressed in like insignias with T's on their, are they going to be undercover or what are they, what are they going to look like? It, it would, it, it would, um, it would not be undercover. Um, they would have some, you know, they would obviously have some form of, um, attire that identified them as such. The intent here is not to create a duplicate. We have the transit police. Uh, the intent here is not to create um, another policing mechanism. This would really be more. Uh, this would be more fair. Fair. Fair verification um, would be their job. Uh, we are initiating a dialogue with the community that I believe started um, last week, uh, and obviously we'll continue with additional outreach. Um, to get their feedback on kind of what what is the community's expectations around, you know, I think there's a, there's some really important equity issues in terms of making sure that we are uh, verifying fares equitably, both even you know even on a vehicle, but also across the system where this type of where these folks would be active, want to make sure that it's done fairly, that it's done in an auditable way, so that we can look back. Um, also would have some type of reporting attached to it. So on a, on a, at a regular cadence, we would report out on what type of fair verification was done, what type of citations were issued, to whom were they issued, uh, just so that, you know, I, 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 I think we want to make sure that we are working with the communities we serve to make sure that we're treating everybody fairly. So um, I'm always trying to get an image in my head of what this might look like. So if I'm thinking of the old pre-pandemic days where the Green Line gets on and you know, at times it's pretty crowded, would, they would there be a device that like people would be getting on with their phones perhaps, with uh, cards, all these, but they could go around fairly quickly and, and check that or is it a, you know, they gotta get the card out, feed it into something, is it, is it more complicated? Well, how, how quickly could it be done? I, be I mean, I believe you'd have a handheld device that could then verify as it scans your card, it, it verifies that you had valid, you had tapped and validated your card as you boarded the vehicle. So it's a device that they could practically tap again and it would show you had paid. Exactly. Yeah. I got it. Okay. All right. So could someone just go through the car and you think do it in, in between stops or is that... I mean, that would roughly be the idea. I mean, I think you're probably naturally going to get people who, you know, if it's a very crowd, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of a crowded green line vehicle um, where, you know, you may not be able to make it through. Um, you know, I think what we're trying to build is a culture, you know, we're moving away from this culture of where the operator is the one who is notionally enforcing um, all the taps as, the, as people come through the doors. We're trying to build a culture where everybody, everybody taps as they go in. 
Um, and just the prospect, uh, you know, the prospect of being checked is enough that, um, you know, we're trying to get the, me the balance right, that sort of the, the potential to be checked is enough to incentivize you to tap. Um, and if, you know, there's many, um, there's many systems in Europe that do this kind of in my, in my younger years when I could travel, I, uh, you know, I would, you know, I lived overseas a couple of times and, you know, there was, it was almost universal compliance. Um, you know, very few people rode without validating the ticket, even though, you know, I think in my travels, I might've gotten checked a handful of times, but, you know, we, there was a culture of compliance and we, I, I'm also hopeful that people understand the benefit of this, that the ability to have everyone doing all door boarding, uh, is, is going to be such a benefit, you know, the throughput improvements we're going to see on the subway in particular, the, excuse me. The, the service green line and the bus system, I, I think is going to make employees uh, and customers are, are really going to value this. Um, you know, the, you know, when I get on the silver line and there's, you know, there may only be 20 people boarding, but it may take you three or four minutes to board, uh, particularly if someone has an issue with, you know, they potentially need to reload their fair media or something to have to not have that and have those 20 people get on board in, yeah, 10 seconds, right. it's a big game. It's a big yeah. game in terms of productivity. So one last question for you, and, um, and that's about, uh, you mentioned um, that um, commuter rail has, has expand, expanded its service on April 5th. And it's, it's sort of exciting to watch that this, instead of just to explain to folks, it, it, instead of having a lot of more trains concentrated at the traditional early and evening peak, they're now spread out through the day. So, and you can sort of count on it every hour or every 45 minutes, depending on the, the line, whatever. Uh, I know that started on the fifth, but you're the, you're the top guy there. What are you hearing for the, in the first week or so of the operation? Is it, has it been well-received or hard to tell or, or what are you hearing? Oh, people really like it. Uh, people really like it. We've seen, um, you know, in rough terms, I mean, we weren't, we weren't operating from a huge base, so I don't want to oversell it, but, you know, we've seen an uptick in, you know, thousands of new riders or riders coming back, uh, even in the first week. So, um, and partly I think that's a function of the previous service was an emergency schedule. It was a very low level of service and frequency. Um, just adding frequency alone has brought back riders. I also think this, this schedule for most riders, not universal, but, you know, for the vast majority of riders, there's a real consistency to it now. Your train arrives at the same time every hour, all day. So you can plan, you know, for me now, the train home leaves at, leaves at five, six, seven, eight, not, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to understand. It's easy to plan, plan your day around. And I think one that's going to be attractive to people and two, I think for folks who haven't ridden the commuter rail regularly, now having a schedule that's easy to understand, easy to remember, and kind of integrate into your, you know, your other activities, I'm hopeful um, is appealing to get them appealing enough to get more folks back on commuter rail. And that is one of the modes that has sort of struggled to come back so far um, during the pandemic. You, you're hopeful that this will sort of give it a kickstart to get going, it sounds like. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the commuter rails bumped, bumped around, you know, eight to 10% um, ridership throughout the pandemic. Uh, and we saw a significant uptick even just in one week. So I think as more people come back, as more people understand that the, the, the newer schedule uh, really potentially works for them, uh, you know, we're hopeful to welcome those folks back. Well, Steve, thanks for joining us this week on the podcast and look forward to having you back again in the near term. Appreciate it. Thanks again for having me and uh, please stay well.